0: i <laughs> you Welcome to the January 12, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DiZutti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the reaction to the comments made by President Trump about refugees in certain countries in Africa and Haiti. Congressman Mike Coffman released a statement on Twitter saying that many of his constituents have come from all over the world and haven't just improved their own lives, but have strengthened the fabric of their entire community. He went on to say that perhaps the president can learn anything or two from those same constituents. Patrick home from Westward. Uh, lots of angles on this one. Uh, we're going to go with not saying the actual word in question, but uh, if there's a more FCC legal version of the word you like to say, please feel free. Your comments.
1: I'm a little disappointed in that, Dominic, because of course at Westward, we print and use all those words as often as possible and with abandon. But we are not the President of the United States. This is appalling and good for Kaufman coming out. You know, I just looked at my kitchen. I know S-holes, and those countries are no S-hole compared to my kitchen right now. Or Shoals, I think we can start calling them for short. But shame on shame on Trump for his Shoals comment.
0: Shoals is a great uh, uh, short version of that. I like that. Joey Bunch from Colorado Politics. Uh, do you think other Republicans are going to come out uh, as vociferously as Mike Kaufman did today?
2: I'm surprised Cory Gardner hasn't already. <laughs> He's, uh, and when I left the state house a little while ago, they were talking about Martin Luther King Day on Monday, and this was Prime center. State Representative Joe Salazar, who's running for Attorney General, teed off on it. But moreover, what Mike Kaufman said is true. If you look at the African immigrants in his district, I've written a couple of stories about how they prospered uh, economically and politically. So, you know, if people stand with the truth, they're not going to stand with President Trump on this issue. Mm-hmm. I think you make a
0: great point. There's been great reports. In fact, uh, thanks to Patty, I uh, read uh, the book The, the Newcomers uh, by Helen Thorpe. and It went through a lot of those same stories to the students at South mm-hmm. High School, and uh, you walk away with a very positive impression of the folks she talks about. Penfield Tate, attorney with QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. What is the correct and balanced reaction to this? I think it's easy to get both sides. What, what's, what's the right balanced reaction?
3: Acknowledge that Donald Trump is a racist and hope he can be educated. Um, I mean, Joey's point was right. It's not just immigrants in Mike Kaufman's district. It's immigrants throughout this country, regardless of the country of of origin, who've worked and tried to improve themselves. And, indeed, that's the history of America where immigrants come here from other countries and work hard to support themselves and raise a family and to move to the next level of success possible based on their ambitions and desires. Um, One could argue that there's no difference between some of these other countries and parts of rural West Virginia or other parts of this country where infrastructure is depleted, dilapidated, and there are no jobs. Uh, And that's what makes his comment so troubling because it's clear it was racially motivated. And at least it's clear to people in communities of color, and I think it's clear beyond that base. Because I was with Joey, I was up at the state capitol, too, for the MLK celebration, and you could hear all of the legislators on both sides of the aisle expressing their dismay with the president's comments.
0: Michael Fields joins us with Americans for Prosperity. Uh, What do you think about other Republicans? Do you think we're going to get some more reaction, and uh, what do you think of Mike Kaufman's response?
4: Yeah, I definitely think that you're going to get more Republicans come out. And I think Cory Gardner will, if he hasn't already, you know, put out a statement on this. Um, these are the kind of issues that Kaufman really takes advantage of to show how he's different in his district. I mean, his district is a, a true swing district with a lot of immigrants. It doesn't surprise me that he's out there out front uh, saying these things. And it's one of the reasons why he wins his elections, uh, wins by a pretty wide margin, because he's, he really listens to his constituents. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's get to it. Governor John Hickenlooper delivered his final state-of-the-state address this week and urged lawmakers to, quote, giddy-up. Focusing much of his speech on rural Colorado, he highlighted equitable access to broadband, the need to address the opioid crisis, and transportation infrastructure. There's a lot of hard words in one topic. Patty, let's get to uh, Governor Hickenlooper's last state-of-the-state address. What did you think, and what about the giddy-up?
1: Well, speaking of hard words, he's used giddy-up before in his state-of-the-state speeches. But he's never used topophilia, and I have to say, given the sexual harassment complaints out there, I would be a little nervous about using a word that sounds like about the worst thing Harvey Weinstein never did. Um, But topophilia is actually love of place, and I think it set a good tone for Hickenlooper's last day to the state. You think about how many people grew up here or moved here and found themselves in Colorado. They have a love of this place, and in his final speech, he wasn't trying to tout all his great accomplishments in the past. He wasn't trying to set the stage to run for any other office. What he was talking about was the hard things he needs to deal with because he loves this place, and he's got some tough, tough things on the agenda. Para, good luck with that. Fixing the transportation hole, the education shortcomings and funding, And just what he had talked about in previous State of the State speeches, the fiscal thicket, and try saying that one three times, along with topophilia. Um, Amendment 23, the Gallagher Amendment, we have, the Tabor Amendment, we have really, really tough things that have put us in a fiscal thicket. And if he can solve that before he leaves office, he'll have done this place a great duty.
0: Joey, you're our uh, guy in the Hill. What was the reaction to the speech, and what did you think?
1: Well, everybody likes
2: John Hickenlooper, and everybody liked his speech, or liked parts of it. You know, it was kind of like a, um, uh, the buffet at Country Buffet. You know, there was something there for everybody. But I heard, I did hear a future candidate there. I think that uh, Hickenlooper is considering running against Cory Gardner in 2020, and he did talk about his accomplishments, how far we've come. You know, when he took office, we were in the depths of the uh, recession, unemployment. Now our employment, unemployment rate is among the lowest in the nation. He talked about those things. But when I heard giddy-up, I heard, I'd say, giddy-up John Hickenlooper. You've got a year left. You laid out all these aspirational goals that you've had seven years to deal with that you haven't, transportation being one of them. So it's time for John Hickenlooper to get on the horse. He's got 11 months left. So let's see what he can do. And if he doesn't accomplish these things, they'll follow him into whatever office he runs for next.
0: Penn, as a former state lawmaker, uh, both how you reacted to state of the states in in the past and how lawmakers are reacting now, do they do much with them?
3: No, they don't. Uh, You know, the, the, the big difference is in the past there have been governors who in part of their state of the state will speak to specific concrete ideas because they've worked with a legislator or two and they know there's a bill that's going to be introduced specifically that they're going to support and weigh in on. And Hickenlooper didn't give us a sense of that in this speech. Um, and, you know, I thought it was positive. I thought it was upbeat. But but I thought it was a dangerous speech in this regard. If he does intend to become a candidate, he laid out a number of aspirational goals to accomplish this session. And, and, and you know, what others have said is right. He's had seven years and he hasn't done them yet. Now this is... Not only his last legislative session, but it's an election year, and it's an election year when there are several folks running for governor and a host of other offices. The entire House is up. About a third of the Senate is up for election. It's going to be hard to get things done. Everybody knows transportation and para and school funding are the big issues. The reason they have remained the big issues year after year is because we can't find consensus on how to fix them. And that's the problem. And I don't think the governor's in a position to promote a fix, and I don't think he's going to get a fix on most of these big issues.
0: Michael, anything surprise you from the speech you saw of Hickenlooper's last state of the state?
4: Not really. It's, hard. it's, it's, it's funny because uh, it is his last state of the state, and it seems like it went by pretty quickly. I was gonna make a joke about uh, you know how it makes me feel old, but with this group I'll I'll pass on that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, good call, by the way, Mike. No problem, no problem. Um, I think these speeches are always interesting because you know you kinda have the inspirational stories and comments, you have the talk about bipartisanship, and then you kinda have the red meat sprinkled in, which is really what people focus on for the next 118 days. Um, I think the speech was a lot about Governor Hickenlooper's legacy and talking about how great Colorado is in a position. There are these other things that that are struggling, but the economy's pretty good. Un- Employment's low. Uh, He talked about that. But personally, I think some of the reason why things are are going decently well is because of some of the stuff that hasn't passed that his party has pushed. Um, They tried to undermine Tabor, they tried to do two tax increases, uh, curtail some oil and gas development, um, and also push for single payer, a lot of them. Um, And so, you know, I think if you look at it, if you remember back in 2010, they put these uh, billboards across the country that said, uh, you know, had President Bush. And a miss me yet sign. I think if one of these extreme Democrat governor candidates win the election, you'll have Republicans out there, you know, with Governor Hickenlooper's picture saying miss me yet.
0: <laughs> Someone is writing down that idea right now, Michael. That's a good point. The Colorado legislative session kicked off Wednesday, and, the trans- and transportation was the word of the day in both the House and the Senate. Among the other words that made headlines were Speaker Chrysantha Duran's comments about making the Capitol a safe place to work following the recent claims of sexual misconduct. Uh, Joey, you were there. Uh, I imagine awkward was another word of the day uh, because it just had to be. You were there, what do we need to know about this first week of the session?
2: Well, it's all tied together. You know, that building runs on relationships and right now there are a lot of frayed relationships in that building. Transportation, they've been frayed on transportation for a while. You know, we had Senate Bill 267 last year. They did put some money, I think $100 million, that they can leverage up to $2 billion over the next 20 years. But we had a whole special session on that, and nobody mentioned it in their speech. My colleague Marianne Goodland framed it as the flaming bag of poo that nobody wants to stomp on, so which has nothing to do with an asshole. hole But, you know, transportation, we're, both sides are spoiling for a ballot to take this to the ballot. You know, the the Democrats are counting on the Denver Chamber of Commerce getting a sales tax on the ballot in the fall, but Republicans want to lock $300 million a year in the the state budget and bond against it long term. And they'll have to take that bond issue, the permission to do that, to the ballot. So ultimately voters are going to decide this, but I don't know that legislators are going to be able to decide this. You know, the Republicans want that in the Senate, which just means that the Democrats who lead the House are going to kill it. Anything that the House puts out, which I don't think they're going to put out anything on transportation this year, it's just going to get killed in the Senate. So where does that leave us? Sitting in a traffic jam.
0: I, uh, sadly, I think you're uh, very prescient on that one, Joe. I think you're right. Uh, Penn, a split legislature, an election year, a governor on, he's not a lame duck governor yet, but he's awfully darn close. Is
3: anything going to get done this year? He's a lame duck governor. Uh, we, we, we need to go ahead and say it. it it's, it's happened. Um, things are going to get done, but I don't think the big issues are going to be, get done. Uh, and, and Joey's right. The place does run on relationships, and, and, and I visited for a while today for some of the MLK um, ceremony and everything. And, and what I found fascinating was how the mood is impacted both in the chamber and in the lobbies. People interact with each other differently. Uh, it's a very stilted feeling because people are careful about what they say and what they do and, and, and to a certain level that's appropriate, I mean you ought to mind your manners but it's minding your ma- manners on overdrive and 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 that doesn't make for good legislating because the conversation is stilted and sometimes it isn't candid or clear enough in terms of where you want to go and at the end of the day the problem with the transportation situation is republicans in the senate want one thing democrats in the house want another i don't see them coming together to to reach a compromise because that's a campaign issue and, and the chamber may push something that gets on the ballot but i'm not convinced what they push is going to fly with the public um, they've had this habit recently of pushing these various uh, uh, initiatives that just don't resonate with, with the community because they, and well, we've talked about people feeling dislocated and displaced because of gentrification and because of development happening to them, not for them. If the chamber is not careful, that's how a transportation initiative is going to be perceived.
0: Since so the chamber would take some good lessons from the whole green roof initiative. Well, I don't want really to call go. it a fiasco, but yeah. that that blew up in a variety of faces in, in Denver just this last fall. Uh, Michael, do you think you're going to see anything of substance come out of the session? And if it doesn't, I mean, we, we can talk around here. We think it's an election year. We're, we're cynical about it. But if nothing comes out, does that come back on Hickenlooper or is that just politics? People understand that.
4: I think it's politics. Um, I I agree that probably not much will get done. The two big issues, para being one and transportation being another. Um, Para, I don't really see. I mean, there's a lot of bills out there, there's a lot of people talk about it, but I don't think anything actually gets done. Transportation is an interesting one, and I think the dynamics have shifted a little bit. Um, I think, if you look at it, so the budget went up $2 billion this year. Governor Hickenlooper comes out with his budget, and then $250 more million dollar comes in after tax reform happens. And Governor Hickenlooper said $150 of that should go to transportation. Uh, the Republicans, as Joey mentioned, want $300 million to go to bonding for this. Um, but I think the dynamic of that conversation has changed because in years past, the Republicans have said, prioritize the budget. And then the question back to them is, where do you cut? Well, now <coughs> the money is there. And and the Democrats last year had said, we need a new source of revenue. Well, the revenue sitting there, it just came in. And so I think, really, the Democrats have lost the media on this. At the the time, the tax increase was losing. 57% were against the the tax increase when they did polling. That was with the media on board. That was with everybody at the legislature on board. I think now the media is going back to the Democrats and saying, okay, the money is there. Why aren't we moving on this? And so I think if there is a ballot issue, if the chamber pushes one, it will lose by even more than that amount.
0: Patty, what have you seen? We have seen and talked about and been both cynical and optimistic about a lot of sessions. Are you cynical or optimistic about what we've seen so far?
1: Well, amused, I have to say, because I went to a legislative event on Wednesday. And when, you, when Penn talks about awkwardness, you haven't seen anything like it. I mean, like handshakes that were 10 feet apart. No hugging, except maybe a couple women would hug each other just because it was funny. Um, it is, people are just acting unbelievably stiff, and I would say stupid. You know, there's, it's pretty simple what to do. Do not be a shoal. Do not treat people horribly. Be a professional, be a pro. Don't worry about what gender someone is. Just treat them like a professional. It's shocking that it is still such a problem in 2018 at the Colorado legislature. So if they can get beyond that, this means no closed-door negotiations, because who knows what could happen behind closed doors and without closed-door negotiations. I don't know if they'll be able to do these tough deals.
0: That's a good question. With Governor Hickenlooper wrapping up his final year, many are looking to the crowded gubernatorial candidate pool ahead of the March caucuses and June primary. According to ColoradoPolitics.com, Democratic candidate Mike Johnston is set to announce he's raised close to $1.5 million in 2017 and is the first to report his numbers, or I guess would be the the first to report. Penn, is $1.5 million enough to scare off any of Johnston's Democratic uh, opponents?
3: No. Um, Jared Polis has a bigger purse than that, and he hasn't scared anyone off. Um, in, in, in the primary season, dollars alone aren't going to scare folks off, particularly on the Democratic side of the aisle. I don't believe, because you're 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 playing a diff- a different game. Uh, It it wouldn't surprise me if Johnston raised a lot of money, and and the footnote is most of his money has come from out of state. So that's where he's been focusing on raising his money, which isn't going to necessarily translate to Democratic votes in-state. And it'll be interesting to see when the primary, as it develops, if he takes a hit for raising all of that money out of state, because that's the possibility, you know, that there's always insinuations about outsiders trying to influence Colorado politics, and given the national climate with the Russian probe and everything else, That may have more legs this campaign season than it has in the past. So, no, I I, I mean, I don't know how much money it will take to win a primary, but I don't think money alone is going to determine that. Some Democrats are worried Jared's got more money, but a lot of Democrats will tell you they don't think Jared can win a statewide race in a general election. So a limitless pocketbook may not be the key to this.
0: Michael, what do you think will be the key? I mean, you have a lot of different Democrats from a lot of different backgrounds, none of them backing down yet. What's going to be the element? Is it endorsements? Is it money? Is it something different that the other opponent's going, oh, boy, that, that, that impresses me? What, what, what is that uh, tangible statistic we might be able to follow?
4: I think it's a base of support, and I think Polis has that in a way that Mike Johnson doesn't. And I I would disagree. I think Polis did scare off the best candidate uh, that the Democrats had, and that was Perlmutter at the time. Um, But Johnson, obviously an impressive quarter for him. Um, I actually think he'd be the best general election candidate of the people who are in the race now because he's charismatic, he's smart, uh, he's getting around the state. But he doesn't have that base of support. And I think money is, is important but it only to a certain point. Walker Stapleton just had a great quarter, um, but you know if it's a six-way primary, Tom Tincrado is gonna come out with, with, with the win there. And I think similarly, um, you know, Kerry Kennedy's you know, raising some decent money too, Johnson does, but I think Polis kinda has that Bernie Sanders support that'll push him over the top. But uh, to, to, to Penn's point, uh, I think he's gonna struggle in the general election. This is not a Trump, you know, Trump territory in Colorado at all, but, um, you know, can you paint Jared Polis as, you know, even more out of touch than Hillary Clinton? And that's going to be the key come November. Patty, what do you think we're seeing from what we've seen so far from Michael Johnson?
1: Well, he's an impressive fundraiser, and it's going to be a numbers game in this election. But the numbers aren't the money numbers because Polis does throw that off. He's got endless amounts of money. Social media numbers, you can without as big a budget you can still have a big impact, but the real numbers game is going to be how you divide up the votes between six candidates or five candidates in the primary. That's the numbers game, and both Polis and Tancredo have solid fractions of the electorate that probably will not change, and if they show up at the primary, it's very possible we will have a Tancredo-Polis election.
0: Would be fun for this table, but holy smokes, that would be pretty historic for Colorado. Uh, Joey, is is there any scuttlebutt, for lack of a better word, on the hill of when these things come up? Because Michael Johnson's, a, uh, you know, still popular on the hill, I would imagine, and there's still a lot of folks probably trying to pick their sides up there. What's been the reaction so far?
2: Well, you're absolutely right. We've got nine Democrats, nine Republicans, six good candidates in each primary, three who could possibly win statewide in each on each side. You know, I don't know if the answer is money. You know, if the answer is money, then the winner is Walker Stapleton in my book. He's raised a million dollars this quarter, and he only got in in October. And you look at the deep pockets that his donors are, you know, who they represent, some of the, the name brands in Colorado politics and business. And it's not just the money that he's raised. His campaign has raised. He's got a pack. You know, Walker is going to report about a million bucks this, this quarter uh, when the numbers come in next week. You know, he put about 250000 of his own money up front, but he's raised seven hundred and fifty thousand. Michael Johnston's been in for two more quarters, and you know there's Walker right in his rearview mirror. But as we've said around this table, you know, well look at look at 2014. Hickenlooper raised five point four million dollars. Bob Beaupre raised one point seven million. Jared Polis can find that in his seat cushion. So you know, <laughs> throw that out the window. But you know, I think. As we've said, it's going to be momentum. It's going to be base. It's going to be the number of people in the primary. There's just a whole gumbo of factors that's going to decide this, this governor's race. And I don't know that we know what's floating on the top of that soup yet. An
0: excellent way to work in gumbo to the show. Very, very well, well done, Joey. I might not well be done. back
2: before Mardi Gras, so i need to get it in.
0: <laughs> we will get you back. With, with that kind of uh, insertion of gumbo into the show, you'll be back before March. I promise. Uh, let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off.
1: Colorado is one of the first states to legalize Martin Luther King Day. We have the, marade, the uh, March Parade on Monday, which is one of the largest in the nation. Something definitely to celebrate, but why can we not have at this point in 2018 a better discussion of what is going on in the city between classes, between um, ethnic groups, that we have Michael Hancock having to go on Facebook Live because we've got a big gender summit tomorrow, and the conversations have so far not been productive.
2: Joey. Uh, Denver's traffic and uh, parking planners, it's it's getting ridiculous. You know, and it's somewhat social engineering to force me on to to public transit, which I just absolutely don't want to do. And you can't find, you know, every, and I don't know how we fix this problem because, you know, a willing seller is uh, going to sell to a willing buyer at a price that they can agree on. So if somebody wants to turn their their parking lot into a building, I don't see how we blame them. But at the same time, I think it's a uh, a problem for a city that you can drive around for a half hour and not find a parking spot, and you still don't have a bus that comes within you know six blocks of your house. So that's a disgrace to me. It's a disgrace on Denver, and this a disgrace on the people who haven't planned for this.
1: We'll get
3: you a segway, Joe. Okay. <laughs>
2: sure, Take my tax break and buy
3: a horse. Giddy up. <laughs> Giddy up, indeed. Penn. Well, I agree with both of those, and I won't get on my bike lane rant today, so I'll leave that <laughs> alone. I'm going to go back where we started. And to Donald Trump, I just offer, you know, a large ch- chunk of this country and a large chunk of the world thought you were a racist before you got elected. Why remove all doubt? It's just awful.
4: Michael. Uh, mine's about cronyism, and I love Top Golf as much as anybody, but this week uh, Thornton City Council... Approved the tax break, 3.75 million dollars to lure uh, a complex there for Top Golf, and I guess my problem is if you're a golf entrepreneur, you want to compete. Uh, you know, now you have to go up against Top Golf and taxpayer money, so I don't think that's a fair uh, system. That
0: is deck in the deck. You're right. Let's
4: go to uh, say something nice about somebody.
1: Pet. Um Colorado has been really lucky for the past six years to have. As a resident, someone who's been an inspiration my whole life, my father, Roland Calhoun, who passed away this week. And even now, I know he is up in heaven, telling jokes to God, doing good, having fun, maybe both, his lifelong mantra.
0: I I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, We have been so lucky to have uh, Mr. Calhoun, as I've always been used to calling him, and his wife Shirley as uh, longtime fans of the show. They're a little biased, which I think I I completely agree with their bias, but it was wonderful to uh, be able to know both of them, and especially a man of uh, Mr. Calhoun's integrity, and when you meet someone and you can see someone who is so genuine uh, as uh, knowing him, it was uh, a privilege. I, I am, and everybody else who's known him is better for it. Joey.
2: Oh, I wish I could just use patties. Can I just say ditto to hers? But since I can't, let me say Representative Brittany Pedersen, she has uh, worked tirelessly. You know, she is a, uh, her mentor was Dickie Lee Hullinghorse, the former House Speaker. Well, Dickie Lee Hullinghorse is looking down from Boulder, and she should be proud of Brittany Pedersen. You know, she worked in a bipartisan fashion last session to uh, pass some, measure of education funding reform for charter schools. She worked in the off session to, um, to work on some bipartisan opioid abuse solutions that I think we, I'm gonna, we're going to see passed. some of the rare bipartisanship this session. But moreover, when Ed Perlmutter decided he didn't want to be governor, that he'd rather run for re-election, she stepped aside with a level of class that we don't see in politics often enough. So, Brittany Pedersen, two thumbs up. Penn. And Patty, our thoughts are... And
3: PERSA with you and your
2: family. Um,
3: happy Martin Luther King weekend, everyone. Um, I'm not at the social responsibility luncheon because I'm here trying to be socially responsible <laughs> and, and contribute to the public discourse. But uh, kudos to Colorado and Denver and Aurora in this state for the way that we commemorate uh, a great man who meant so much to this, so much to
4: this country. You're here, here. Michael. Uh, There's a lot of focus on kind of the bad apples of the legislature with the sexual harassment stuff. I just wanted to point out that most legislators are great people that treat people with respect. And so uh, giving them credit for the people who act like the leaders that we elected them to be.
0: There are a lot of folks doing uh, good work so we can have some fun talking about it on this, this program. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. As always, log on to Facebook or Twitter for CIO segments, past and present. You can also find our podcast on iTunes and Google, on, and Google Play. Also, if you missed our immigration debate that we broadcast earlier tonight, which was Sanctuary Cities, Immigration at Our Doorstep, a co-production we did with the Independence Institute hosted by yours truly, go to cpt12.org to check it out now. I think we succeeded in actually having a Discussion about an important topic with people from different sides of the debate. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dazzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.